Bonjour and welcome to another episode of Street Focus, an ongoing exploration of urban photography. I'm your host, Valérie Jardin. Today is episode 99 and it's a new Q&A and street challenge episode and I'm happy to have my good friend Alec Hosterman on the show. Alec participated in a few of my workshops and uh, this is one of the highlights of teaching workshops. In each one, I make some lifelong friends from all over the world and those friendships have enriched my life tremendously. And Alec is one of those great friends and uh we well we know each other quite well hi alec how are you doing <laughs> i'm doing great thank you for having me on the show and congrats for making it 99 i know hopefully i'll make it to 100 huh <laughs> <laughs> so alec actually you've been on several workshops but i i saw you more recently in paris uh in may while you were just visiting and we hung out and caught up at that time and at a good time uh, sitting at Cafe Terrace and, and enjoying the, the good life. Oh, it was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Four, four workshops with you and yeah. uh, now it's, it's fun to hang out and yeah. we, we had a blast in Paris. It was yeah. great. It was fun. So uh, what have you been up to? You're, well, tell us a little bit about, about yourself before we sure. go into the listener questions and our picks of the weeks and so forth. So who is... Alec Hosterman? Um, well, that's a really good question. I'm still trying to figure that part out. <laughs> but uh, I am a professor at a university called Longwood University in Farmville, Virginia. Yes, there is a Farmville. Uh, <laughs> no, it's not related to the video game. Uh, and in fact, we are actually getting the vice presidential debate in October. Wow. So if you, yeah, if you tune in, you can see my lovely little town. Good. And maybe uh, we'll see you too in the audience. Probably, probably. <laughs> I teach communication courses. That's my background. I have a PhD in communication. My background, though, professional background is public relations. But I have been doing photography for 20 plus years. Uh, I call it therapy, so to speak. So mm -hmm. I came from the, the print side film side for the longest time. And then when digital came about, I did digital and I absolutely fell in love with wh what it taught me. The idea of digital photography, you can, you can learn real quickly, look at the back of the camera, uh, see where the mistakes are, you know, check it right away. So, you know, I really fell in love with the digital. And so I was doing landscape for a while. I was doing nature. And then I said, what's the street photography thing? Mm -hmm. And then I, I actually just Googled it. Your name came up with workshops. And from probably for about four years now, I've been really doing a lot of street photography alongside everything else. Yeah. And uh, you first came to Minneapolis on a workshop. Yes, Minneapolis. And the and first you, of many. Yes. And then you slightly twisted my arm for Normandy. <laughs> Didn't take long. Uh, and it worked perfectly. Yeah. Awesome. And then, uh, so yeah, you, so you shoot Fuji as well right now, right? Yes. I was a Canon guy for the longest time and I got an X100S a couple of years ago. Loved it. And so I sold my Canon and now I have the Fuji X-T1 alongside the 100S. That's right. So which one goes out more? Uh, good question. Right now, the X-T1. Really? Uh, mm -hmm. Yes, because I've been experimenting with some stuff, but the X-100S you know, it's a really great one for around town here. So I'll do that whenever I go to, to little shows or something. Mm -hmm. Fun, 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 fun. Yes. So, uh, so are you on summer break? 
Yes. A couple more weeks and I will be back in the classroom. That's right. Well, that's exciting. So I'm, I'm so glad that you made the time to, uh, to be my uh, co-host today. And uh, let's just jump right away in the Q&A segment. Hey, so sounds good. We have a few questions. The first one came from Levi Shan. Thank you, Levi, for... Uh, Ari's being there when I need questions, and it came on the Google Plus uh, group. What are your views on formal education in photography? Anything a street photographer can learn in the studio or seated in a lecture hall? Well, I think you're the perfect candidate to answer <laughs> this question, Alec. Uh, sure. Actually, I've got two answers to this. Mm -hmm. The first one comes from the PhD teacher in me. I've been doing it for 15 years, so of course I have to start with that side. Uh, I'm an advocate of education. I've I've always felt that uh, when you stop learning, you stop you stop growing as a person. So yes, I really think there is something about more formal education in photography that does. Uh, add to your ability to take photographs. So for instance, you know, you go through a two-year or four-year program, uh, you can learn about the history of photography, different art movements, uh, learn about the cultural context in which these photos were taken, uh, different techniques that you learn from, not just, you know, rule of thirds or the idea of ISO, but really the idea of, of um, what what people did and how they did it. Uh, one of the other big things from an education point of view is the critiques that, that occur uh, and the, the idea that you could get critiques from the professor mm -hmm. and from your fellow students at the same time. And there are critiques to make you feel bad and go off crying. They're the ones to make you really improve your work in the subtlest of ways. Plus the idea that, you know, marketing and public relations of work, a good a good program uh, blends that in. How do you take what you want to do for a living and then market yourself and create business and an artist statement, et cetera? Um, that's, that's the teacher in me, okay? However, I never took a photo course ever until I actually had you in the workshop. Yours was the very first class that I ever took. Uh, how I learned is I learned by asking questions, a lot of questions. And my dad did, does film. He still does uh, photography. So when I got into the SLRs back in the mid nineties, my first one was an Olympus OM 10, got a shout out for that. Uh, I, I asked questions. Well, how does this work? How does ISO work? How does shutter speed work? This thing called aperture. Uh, you know, I just simply ask questions and then, and I still do this part, I mimic others. Mm -hmm. So I might find photos that I really like and I'll look at it and go, wow, that's, that's really a, a, an amazing shot. Let's see if I can do that. And then once I learn that technique, I can mold it to what I like uh, and what I see as my vision when I take, when I take uh, photographs, um, you know, and digital I, you know, I am a big proponent of understanding what the basics are with the camera, but the digital camera can teach you so much on the spot. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember when, you know, I would take film and good Lord, you'd have to, to wait until it was developed. And then you're like, okay, what was the setting again? If you didn't write it down, you had to rely on memory. And then you had to go take photos again, get them developed and then compare them. It was a really, it was a longer process yeah. here. I could take it, go, nah, that doesn't work and change it real quickly. And I've learned 
what that technique is and it, and it cuts down the learning time. So yeah, I, you know, Levi, there's, there's advantages and disadvantages on both sides. I would say, look at what your time commitment is for schooling. Look at money. That's another big one. Or look at, you know, the workshops um, that professionals put on or really good hands-on techniques that you can get. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's really my point of view there. Yeah, I agree. I think um, there are different ways to, to learn, have a more formal education. I mean, it doesn't have to be a, a college degree in photography. And honestly, um, I don't know very many photographers who make a living in their, with their photography who have any formal education. I think uh, they've, I mean, such as myself, I've taken, when I, when I started photography, I used to do portraits, um, candid portraits of children and families outside. Um, that's like a lot of other moms start, you know, photography, whether they photograph their kids' sport events or uh, children playing, and then they photograph their friends' children. I mean, I know a lot of moms who started their business of photography that way. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, at the same time, I, I mean, I started in full auto mode because I didn't know how the camera worked. But oh, me too. <laughs> that, that really doesn't matter. Everybody can learn how to use a camera in full manual mode. You know, that uh, just like everybody can learn how to hold uh, a paintbrush and paint uh, uh, and paint. But there's going to be the good painters and the painters that are never going to improve in their craft because they don't have that innate talent that comes with it. And I think so. I think that's why some of the photographers who who have made it have that little plus, that little edge, and also a good business sense, because that is definitely uh, a must if you want to make a living at this. But in street photography, I feel like everything you've done prior to hitting the streets will help you, will get you more prepared because it's really, it's definitely one of the most challenging genres of photography. Um, and you have to be so quick. You have to make really, really fast decisions. And whatever you've learned before, whether it was, um, obviously as a portrait photographer, that's very helpful. Uh, but anything I've learned in the years that I had a studio to doing, um, even, you know, uh, the years I, I worked as a food photographer, interior photographer, I've learned skills that make me a better photographer overall. So I think it all builds. And you never, as you said, you never stop learning. And now we're so fortunate to have so much awesome education available at our fingertips. I mean, uh, even on our phone where you we can go and watch some tutorials. A lot of them are free. Be careful. Not everything that's free is going to be good. So you have to (laughs) to be selective. But we have, uh, we have sites like lynda.com, which is very affordable, you know, and, and one of, I I mentioned Linda because now I, I, I've started working with them. The good part about those sites is that you can just sign up for a month if you have some free time and then just for $25, watch hours and hours and hours of tutorial. That's pretty amazing. It really is. Yeah. So there are many ways to to learn, but I think it all, yeah, I mean, hands-on, learning, even going on photo walks with fellow photographers, 
You learn from, from everyone. You learn when you're on a workshop as much from the workshop instructor as you will from, uh, fellow photographers. And you've experienced that, you know, um, on, on, on my workshops and, and then going to conferences and so forth. Oh, most definitely. And if you haven't been on a Valerie workshop, I got to give a plug right here because you're, <laughs> you're very hands on. Yeah. Um, I think I remember- that's necessary. We were in the Normandy one and there was some door that you were you were photographing that was a really neat photograph. And you, you said, well, get down lower and move here. And this is how I did this. And and you you took time with everybody who was interested. So mm-hmm. that's I like that idea. I like that ability for somebody to get in in dirty down and dirty with you with the camera yeah. uh, to get that experience. Yeah, I think it's it's necessary to be in the field. I mean, you can learn a lot in the classroom. You can learn a lot from looking at, at uh, the great work that's out there. But it's really by being in the field that you will improve your craft uh, as a photographer. There is no doubt about that. So a little mix of everything and whatever you can do. Some people like to, some people prefer to be in a classroom than to be in front of their computer. I mean, I... Uh, myself, I prefer to be with other people to learn something. It's more motivating oh, than yes. sitting by myself in front of my computer. Everybody has a different learning style. Yeah. And uh, you need to take advantage of that learning style. Yeah. But uh, but definitely to make a, nobody on a job assignment, um, if you're starting out as a photographer, is ever going to ask you for your resume. Um, ever. I've never, when I started, when I was a commercial photographer, no one has ever asked me for a resume. And, uh, and I was a commercial photographer for close to, you know, 17 years. And um, they look at your work. It's your yeah. work that will speak. They don't yeah. care what you shoot with. They don't care where you learn the craft. They want to see what you can do. And they look at your work. And then they give you a call, say, hey, I like what you're doing. Why don't you come and shoot my event or whatever you, that is your resume. That's your portfolio. And mm-hmm. that portfolio, you know, the portfolio of work stands as a resume in a sense. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and that's, it's funny. That's how you get a lot of jobs. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. So, uh, well, good. Well, you were, you just, um, thank you for the great, great answer, Alec. Uh, <laughs> I couldn't have said it better. <laughs> Listen to the professor. <laughs> Awesome. As Ken says, Doc Holiday. So that's yeah, right. Go. That's right. Awesome. Uh, well, I left a really long question for you because <laughs> I didn't feel like reading it. So. <laughs> I had a hunch. <laughs> okay, go ahead. All right, here we go. Bonjour, Valérie. Uh, general photography has been a passion for many years, but the problem with general everyday photography people, urban landscape, is that I can come back after a day with 500 raw images in my camera. If I do this once a week, it is a lot of images to post-process. I often get so frustrated with the fact that in 2016, no cameras can record the highlights, shadows, and contrast and saturation the way it appears in front of my eyes, so that post-processing is almost not needed. I get so overwhelmed that I literally leave all the photos on my computer never to be seen again. Very sad and frustrating. These days, someone is not just a photographer, but also an image scientist. I would like to know how you your post-shooting workflow involves. How many photos do you usually take? How many do you keep? Uh, how do you call? And how quickly do you edit your photos? I'm rather confident with Lightroom and Photoshop, so this is not the problem. The drawback with photography for me 
is choosing the few best shots. All the images are my babies, and I can find something good about them all, so I sometimes end up editing too many. I then resent photography, I resent photography and want to give up. Many people talk about creative blocks, but few talk about the hassles of selecting and editing time. I would love to know how you deal with this part of your photography. Thank you for your inspiring blog, words, and images. Uh, and this came from uh, Ludo by email. Um, thank you for the for for the question. Wow. Um, well, <laughs> I'm going to need help here. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, you um, may be shooting way too much. I think, um, and I've talked about that many times. I think there is, um, if you limit yourself, you you end up with uh, more keepers um i think um that's one of the drawback of the digital age i think it's made photographers a little lazy and uh and have they have the trigger a little easier than they used to yeah. when they had to oh, pay yes. for film developing and i think um i think film photographers when we were shooting film i think overall we were probably better photographers because uh we were more selective um Granted, as you said earlier, the learning curve is much faster now because we have instant gratification and we can correct our mistakes on the in the field, and that's wonderful. But then, but then we need to be um, a little more discerning. And if you're shooting 500 raw images on any given photo walk, um, maybe you want to. Maybe that's the problem. Um, maybe you just shoot too much and uh, maybe you need to slow down, step back a little bit. And it could be gear too. You know, if you're using a zoom lens, you're more likely to shoot more frames than if you're using a prime lens because you're just going to say, Oh, well, let's see what it does. If I, you know, if I zoom in or out and, and then you shoot more. And I'm not sure you're learning as much as if you were using uh, a prime lens. I really, really encourage people to use a prime lens, no matter what they're shooting. Um, they will slow down and they my experience is that they will make uh they will make better photos um true the the cameras do not record exactly what we see although i think they're getting better and better uh but um but is that you know really what you you want? I mean, you can create that magic in, in post processing any any way you want. If I mean, I'm not talking about street photography because I think uh, that's probably the the genre where we do the the least amount of post processing. I know I I don't spend more than just a few seconds on any given uh, image um, lately. Because I've been, I haven't shot a raw image in 2016 yet, uh, um, and uh, I've been just happier than ever. <laughs> I I love what comes out of my camera, and and uh, I can't replicate that in post processing from a raw image. So why would I bother? It comes out just fine, and it's street photography. So it's not like I'm going to need all that information, you know, to 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 make the story any better right. uh it comes out just fine whether i select black and white with yellow filter and you can make some you can make some more um you can fine tune in camera as well as 
you can fine tune in Lightroom as well. Or if I shoot classic Chrome, which I have been a lot, and you people have noticed a lot more color in my photography. I was recently uh, on the Normandy coast at home, and uh, and most of my beach photographs are in color because I think it's more fitting. And and I don't know when, especially beach photography, I think there is a lot of humor. Uh, and, oh and yes, color I think is more fitting for that kind of photography. So. Um, I don't spend a whole lot of time, but then I don't shoot hundreds of images on any given day either. I really press the shutter when I feel it's going to be a keeper. So um, I don't machine gun it. And I never have because I did all my training during the film days. So <laughs> I never went through that phase of shooting a thousand pictures in a day, you know, unless I was on a job, you know, and shooting a, an event. But that's something different. If you're shooting for yourself, limit yourself. You'll be a lot happier because, yes, if you come back from a photo walk and you have 500 pictures to look at, I, I would do it, honestly. <laughs> It's discouraging just uh, loading them up on the, on the computer and having to look through them. But it's very easy. The way I do, I, I import my pictures in Lightroom and I make a first pass with a, fi a finger on the X. And I X the ones that I know I'm never going to want to look at again. And I right away select all the deleted pictures and take them off the hard drive. And they're never to be seen again. And then I have fewer to look at. It's much more, um, It's I think it's better for your ego in a way to look at fewer pictures that are good and then go from there. So eliminate, you know, if they're out of focus, yes, maybe they will come out with a, a device that will put your out of focus pictures into focus. But really, <laughs> is that what you want to do? You know, if they're not right in camera, do you really want to fix them to that point? To me, if I didn't get it right in camera, I don't care if a software can fix that. I it, I didn't do my job right. So I'm not going to look at that picture again. I want the, the I want the picture to be right in camera and then just fine tune, maybe uh, adjust, um, you know, the, my, my verticals if they're not straight and things like that. But it's very minimal. So five seconds on a picture for street, if you're a street photographer should should do it. I'm not talking about anything else. You know, if you're shooting landscapes, yes, you'll spend a lot more time. But then that's maybe not always necessary. I, I recently saw um, a presentation by a photographer, um, an older gentleman, and he did a whole series of photographs, and I can't even remember, and I think it was in Sweden. And what struck me from his landscape photograph is that they were just so basic but beautiful because they were not over-processed, and I thought that was so refreshing. And I thought, why are they so appealing to me? Because they were just more like what you'd shoot, you know, the, the old slides we used to shoot. Um, and uh, they were more, yeah, they were not over-processed like we're so used to now. So we feel compelled to bring out so much detail from the shadows. Well, that's not something you want to do in street photography. I think shadows are wonderful. Keep the, you know, I, I love when there is a lot of mystery. And I really don't like seeing night photographs of street photographs where you wonder if was it really nighttime or is it daytime it's not because you can bring out the details from the shadows that you should so you know i think people are have a tendency of using because we have those tools to want to use them all but but be more selective you know maybe they come out just fine out of camera and and maybe you should shoot raw plus jpeg and see how the jpeg comes out 
Okay, Doc, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> you know, I, we actually have had several conversations about this, um, mm-hmm. you know, our different approaches to post-processing. And there's there are quite a few different approaches, as you've talked about. Um, I, I totally 100% agree. I think that 500 for a photo walk, I, you know, I would get I would get bogged down for that. So mm-hmm. that would be my first one. Is I think that this uh, this person is shooting too many, uh, and that's that whole idea of spray and pray. Okay, one out of thirty uh, will be really good, right? Mm-hmm. Or one out of forty, or whatever. And we've all done that. So so pull back a little bit. Look for the moment. Um, I'm a firm believer that in, that when you're looking through and, and something catches your eye, that means that that image that you want to create is communicating something. And it's that dialogue that you want to create with the viewer. So every shot you take should have some sort of dialogue going on uh, with that viewer. And I do the same thing. I'll go through and I'll get rid of the ones that I know don't have any good meaning to them, you know, overly blurry um, ones that just that just weren't weren't right in some way. It didn't catch me, uh, which might be a quarter of them. It might be a half of them. I don't know. It all depends on on what I'm shooting. Um, so I'll look at the best images. And then, you know, from there, I'll go through and do a second pass. And that second pass, then I'll highlight in Lightroom. You can you can click that little circle and it highlights the best ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'll I'll save those as just my best ones because I think they're going to turn out really well. Okay, Uh, then I'll do some minor editing like I might need to turn the image a little bit. I might need to crop a little bit here and there. I'll look at it in black and white and I'll look at it in color if I'm undecided. Some images I can tell are going to be black and white images right away. It's just it's the way the composition is. I see it in my head as a black and white image. So I know that's what it is. Some are really good with color the same way. Some of them, it's amazing how one can be, it can be a color image, you flip it to black and white, and it gives you a totally different meaning, Mm -hmm. and yet both are very compelling at the same time. I don't want to say that's rare, but it's happened, and you look at it and go, wow, both of them really do stand on their own. So I might tweak highlights a little bit, contrast, etc. If I spend five minutes on an image, I'm I'm spending way too much time. I don't think I've ever clocked myself on doing it. I probably should, uh, but maybe two minutes max mm-hmm. uh, for a photograph. Um, if I'm spending four or five minutes on it, that means there was something wrong with the, the photograph. Yeah, uh, there's something that I did wrong, even though I kind of liked it. You know, I'm trying too hard to do that. Maybe that's what this person is doing. They're trying too hard to to find that image. Um, yeah, and then sometimes if you have to try to convince yourself that, oh, yeah, yeah, maybe that one is worth it. You know, I think you have to follow your heart. I think yes. you know right away and don't overthink it. Yes, that's exactly it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll pass by something. I'll do a double take. The minute I do a double take on something, yeah. I know there's an image there. Yeah, and you can I improve upon it, but you cannot make it good from a bad one, but you can certainly right. improve on it. And that's where you have to look at post-processing is really improving something that's really good not make it not making something good out of something that's mediocre right and Mm -hmm. you know there's times when your images are going to be blurry but you know what sometimes that works especially in black and white i found that if there's action there's one that was that was 
posted uh, to the board for this week's competition that had that bicycle going. And I loved it because the blur of the bicycle going by uh, really worked to show that action that was going on there. And, you know, switching into black and white, beautiful mode. So, yeah, I, you know, personally, I think this person is working a little too hard. Yes, every image you take is your baby. Trust me on this one. Uh, I have. I have lots of them sitting back there that I love, um, but you know, not all of them will be perfect little babies that you want. I may have, in fact, I went through this recently because I'm finally trying to figure out how to sell some of my images online. And out of the you know tens of thousands of photographs I have, I maybe have 200 that I'm willing to sell. And out of that, I'm probably gonna whittle it down even more. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's really finding the ones, the other thing, the other part of that question, which, which caught me was how quickly do we edit? Uh, sometimes, at least for me, I will put them away for a while. Okay. I'll take them and maybe a week or so, or two weeks later, I'll look at them. And, and that way, some people take six months. Yes, yeah. yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes. Uh, and, and that's perfectly fine too. It's sort of like writing. You, you really write a lot, but you put it away and then later on you catch what errors you made. Uh, and that's, you know, I tell my students that, well, this is the same thing. I'll put them away and yeah, right away, they all look really good. But, you know, a week or two, two months later, you're going to really have a more discerning eye, a more critical eye to those photographs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if they're sure. not under deadline, I'd say wait a while. Maybe yeah, that might try, help try too. that. I, I know I can't because I'm so impulsive and spontaneous. <laughs> and well, you know me. <laughs> oh, yes. I can't wait. I mean, they're, you know, the minute I get back to wherever I am, a hotel or an apartment or wherever I'm staying, I need to look at that one image that I think was the winner of the day that I'm so excited about. And, uh, and that never, it's funny because people always tell me, does that ever get old I said no it gets better because you're so much more depending I think as you grow in your craft you you're pickier and oh, yeah. so when you know you have the shot you're just even more excited because you it's always harder and harder to satisfy yourself so uh, I think that that no, I hope it never gets old because that's just such a high but um, but I but it's something worth trying and also another part of the question was um, how do you know how do you call the images how you know how how do you know if they're good or bad so maybe um find some photographers that you trust in your area and what somebody recently um mentioned is that they and i can't remember who that was i think it was on one of my shows they they print regularly and then they meet with other with other photographer friends and then they they look at the images in a print form and share their their thoughts on it that i thought that was a really good way to do it uh for a change is to actually hold a print and i think print print regularly i think is a is a good way to 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 share to look at your work and uh, or or have hire someone to do a, a a critique of you know ten or twenty of your images to help you be more discerning because uh, a critique is not a lot of people are afraid of critiques because oh, yes. they've all heard those horror stories you mentioned earlier where you'll <laughs> leave crying <laughs> never to touch your camera again never yes yes <laughs> and I think that's horrible that's not what a critique is a critique no. is constructive always constructive it's never negative there's always something good and uh and who is to say that you know, I mean, the person who critiques the work wasn't there. You know, they don't 
And I find it really horrible when somebody says, well, this totally sucks. I'm like, no, that's that you were not even there. There is at least something usually positive. And that, yes, then you can definitely improve. We can all improve on, on our work. And, and the critique, the role of the person who critiques the image is to point out things that you can avoid uh, mistakes you'll avoid next time you know it's actually to give you the tools to do to make better photographs next time you hit the streets basically it's not to improve the picture that you're looking at it's to give you the tools to do to make stronger images next time and i think you know i think photographers are always in search of the one perfect shot mm -hmm. uh, and that's that's what drives us each time we take a photograph no photograph will ever be perfect Uh, because, you know, you reach that perfect shot and then you end your photo career. That, that's always been my philosophy. So I think that, you know, we are always on the search for that one perfect shot. And that's what drives us. That's what, that's what motivates us to, to get out and do this. Yeah. Um, so, you know, find that motivation inside too, is what's, you know, that person is shooting 500. Is there one or two in there that really drive them? You know, go back and look at them right away. Is there something that, that really caught their eye when they're doing that? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, most definitely. Yeah, well, that was good. I think um, I think that we kind of covered it and it's going to be different from, for everyone. But I think, yeah, it's it's a matter of being more discerning once you you know. I mean, yeah, there is the learning period where you're obviously going to shoot a lot more. Uh, but once you, you know what you like, you, you know, you have a good, you have good technical, uh, abilities, then just be more discerning. Pretend you're shooting film, you know, yes. go with that frame of mind just, and, and for an exercise, do limit yourself, go out for a half a day and shoot 36 exposures and see how that feels. Give and, yourself a theme yeah, too. Th exactly. So there are so many ways to, to, um, to do exercises that will make you a more discerning photo photographer. So I, I really encourage that. Not something I would recommend to do on your once in a lifetime trip to, you know, uh, Paris or Rome or wherever, but something you do when you go on a photo walk in your, in your own city, you know, you'll, you'll be there again. So, so limit yourself and see if you can have, if you have more keepers at the end of the day. Oh, most definitely. I mean, when I went to Paris and Normandy, I was shooting twofold. I was doing the whole, yeah. all right, we're going to go at theme. But there was times and places I was sitting there going, I don't know when I'm going back. I'm yeah. just going to shoot to shoot. Yeah. So I have those memories with me. Exactly. But now when you look back, you probably feel like, oh, see, I should have spent more time yes. there. And yeah. actually, when I went back recently to Paris, I was more discerning in what I took. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's two different ways of approaches. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. And we'll move to the winners of the last street challenge, which was about breaking the rules, was episode 93. There were not as many entries as usual, but it could also be because it's summertime and uh, and people were uh, away on vacation. But there were some good ones. Usually when there are fewer entries, they're a little bit stronger, too. They so. were. And uh, once again, Alec and I picked the same winner. <laughs> so I gave it to him. Go ahead. 
<laughs> all right. So I looked through all of them several times. Um, it was really difficult. I had a couple of them that I was that I was pulling from. But real quickly, my criteria was, did that image communicate meaning by breaking a rule of sorts? Was it, In other words, was there that, that feeling that it added to the story? Yeah. So my pick was, drum roll, Elizabeth Gray. Elizabeth Gray's photograph is this wonderful black and white photograph of a person holding an umbrella. The person is really tiny at the top of the steps, and the person is on the far right, bottom right corner. So it's a low horizon line. And, you know, part of what I'm looking at is going, why is that person looking off to the right, off frame? Mm -hmm. What are they standing? They're not standing perfectly erect either. There's a slight diagonal to it. And why are they looking there? Where are they going? And and the sky itself has got this real ominous look to it. So for me, I'm looking at this as going, wow, it's, it's a great story. Um, you know, Elizabeth broke the rule of putting the person so close to the edge and looking off the frame. Yeah. Um, that really it, it was it was a good choice, in my opinion, uh, for communicating that story. Yeah, it definitely creates uh, tension. And I think the sky, uh, the ominous sky actually adds to that as well. So I, yes. I really like that. Uh, great job, um, Elizabeth. I think that really um, fit the the theme of breaking the rules and creating tension. So, um, so since that was my pick as well, um, actually then I have, I had two that I, I like, so we'll have three winners this week again. Hey, and both good. of those were also, um, runner ups for Alex. So I feel pretty good about that. <laughs> <laughs> so there was, uh, one from Barrett. Schurze, Schurz, not sure. Uh, maybe Schurze if it's German or But I'm not sure. I may be murdering the name. And uh, it's actually a color photograph, but very high-key um, in a in a modern, um, looks like it was a museum, um, white room. And there was a woman, again, walking out, out of the frame through a doorway. She's in step, so that I, I like that. Uh, there is a reflection in the, in the glass as well. And she's walking out of the frame on the right age, edge of the frame. So again, lots of tension. Uh, I think this, if I may say so, I think this may have been an even stronger photograph in black and white because um, it, we would have removed the the color distraction of the art pieces that are uh, sitting in the middle of the room or in the far back in the room. But uh, nevertheless, it really, I, I stopped and looked at it, you know, several times because, and that's what you want. You know, if you're creating tension by breaking rules, it's to uh, draw attention to, to the image because there is something that's going against the natural visual flow and thus just makes you react to it. So I really like this one uh, from Barrett, um, as well as one by Scott Johnston, um, where there are people walking on a, on a, a plaza, or, and it's shot from above, and there are people going on every direction, in every direction, kind of in circles, and they're all going kind of out of the frame. And it, it, it gives you a dizzy 
effect, don't you think? Also oh, yeah. because of the the stones, uh, the it's a circular. Uh, um, how would you say that? Um, the like a circular plaza. Circular plaza. So the stones are in a, the not cobblestone, but the pavers are in a circular motion, and the people are kind of going in a circular motion too. So there is a dizzying effect to this photograph, and and then lots of pigeons in the shot. So again, something unusual that I really liked. Yeah, there was this one. The first one um, um, that you that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but Barrett, I was really I, you know, black and white would be good. I liked the color part of it a mm-hmm. little bit more. Uh, but the stark white background is, yeah. and the, that movement of her was really good. Yeah. But yeah, the the dizzying effect of Scott Johnson's. It was just sitting there going, oh, yeah, tons of things. Tons of things you did to, to break rules, but that that sort of looks like um, a galaxy in a sense, all revolving yep. around this one centerpiece. Yeah, so for sure. Both yep. were really good. Good. Well, uh, all three winners, congratulations. You will each receive an ebook of your choice from our friends at RockyNook.com. And I want to thank RockyNook for their continued support. And um, the next challenge, uh, I pick something a little different, will be because, you know, there's been a lot of bad news on the news and and, uh, we're all fed up with politics and everything. I'm like, okay, let's uh, (laughs) cheer everybody up with smile of a stranger. And um, I worked, well, I was probably, you were probably with me on some of those workshops when I was working on that ongoing project of beautiful smiles of strangers from all over the world. And, uh, And I would post them regularly. And everybody would always say, "Oh, that just made my day just to see this beautiful smile on on Facebook when I uh, when I opened it." So, um, photograph the smile of a stranger. So now, of course, we're looking at a street portrait. Um, so you you will um, definitely have. Um, there's going to be a connection, eye contact. Uh, it doesn't mean that you're going to have a, a conversation with the person, but they will, they're aware that you're photographing them. And I want it to be a beautiful smile. And um, this is actually how I approach my project. And I shot it in from Australia to to Paris to uh, New York. Um, is I would see people engage in a conversation or just going about their life, and I would notice their beautiful smile. And I would just simply stop them. I said, "Wow, you have the most stunning smile. I would really like to make a portrait." And it totally made their day. Uh, I love doing it. I have, I still have the, the gallery on my website. So I'll put a few samples, um, in the show notes. But, um, I think it's just when you see a smile, it just, uh, makes you happy, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, and, and part of this is if, if you're afraid to go up and talk to people, talk to strangers, try it with friends first. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, break that break that down a little bit to get a build some confidence. Um, but a smile is something that's pure and authentic, and and it can be conveyed really well through street photography and street portraits. Yeah, for sure. And uh, color black and white, whatever you see fitting. Uh, if you're really shy and never photographed a stranger, you know, go for people with their dogs. Uh, people walking their dogs are usually very uh, very uh, open to being photographed. So start photographing. Uh, and then uh, move your <laughs> move your way up. 
<laughs> and then uh, ask for a portrait of the the person and their dog. And chances are, if you're photographing somebody with their dog, they will have they they will both smile, right, Alec? Oh yes, <laughs> you're and, a dog and lover. people smile like their dogs. <laughs> and we heard your dog a little bit during the show. So. Oh, she she has an opinion about everything. That's so right. <laughs> you know, yes. Sorry about that. <laughs> That's fun. Um, okay, uh, so the deadline for this because of traveling, I set the deadline for September eight. So that gives you uh, a month to uh, to close to a month to come up with your best smile of a stranger. So I expect to see a lot of entries for this one. And lots of festivals still going on. It's yep. always good to go down to like a festival and, and you'll see lots of people there. So you might get some good shots of, of people there. That's right. That's right. And now uh, our picks of the week. What do you have for us, Alec? Ah, here is one of my all-time favorite tools. Um, I, I, I think Black Rapid make some wonderful straps that are, go across the chest. And I actually have what's called the Black Rapid Metro. Uh, it's light, it's thin, uh, and I can hang my, my camera down off to the side. I no longer have the weight around my neck. And, you know, all I got to do is, is pull it up real quick and then pull it down. So you're not carrying your camera around all the time. So I think it's $39.95 from Black Rapid. It's a wonderful tool for for any type of photography, to yeah. tell you the truth. And it will save your neck. Yes. Oh, sure. absolutely. Yeah. Um, that's what I had for my DSLR. And they actually make some pretty um, fun ones. You know, they're, I know they have a special one for women. Yes. Um, and uh, I had that one for my DSLR. I haven't used it recently um, because, oh, yeah, that's right. I got this amazing Lucida leather strap. I know. I saw it and I'm jealous. But that's and okay. granted, it's not as ergonomically uh, comfortable or good for me, but it's so beautiful. <laughs> Sometimes beauty trumps I know. comfort. Comfort, yeah. It's not how good you feel, it's how good you look. <laughs> hey, Black Rapid has a wrist strap, though, so that's might right. have some competition. Yep, yep. So that's awesome. Uh, that's a great pick. Mine is uh, a new toy that I've been playing with. Um, I received it uh, just before I left for Paris, and uh, I put it on my X-Pro2 that was just sitting there lonely. <laughs> and it's the... So now the X-Pro2 has the, the sexy strap and the Lens Baby Velvet 56mm uh, creative focus lens. So this is a lens baby uh, lens, creative focus, which means it's it's manual focus. It has this dreamy look that, yes, you can probably make in post-processing, but what's the point? It's so much more fun to challenge yourself to achieving the same result in camera, in the field. It's very challenging to use, um, much more challenging than I remembered, because I used to have a Lens Baby Composer for my Canon system. I did too. You did too. And, yes. uh, and I used it. See, it's not something you're going to use every day. But what I did, I... When I, I brought my, I brought three cameras on this trip. It's the first time I ever wow, bring three cameras. A, but, that is a lot for you. <laughs> but I never took them all out. Uh, my favorite, of course, was the X100T. And then uh, I love the X70. So that uh, comes with me when I'm kind of, if I'm not even planning on taking pictures, it's it's with me, like my phone would be. But uh, the one I, I used the most was the X100T because it's like, it's an extension of me, and it pretty much goes everywhere. But um, at the last minute, I decided to t bring the X-Pro2 
and I put the Lens Baby uh, velvet lens on it, which is kind of big. So it's not something I would carry every day, especially on the X-Pro2, which is are already bigger than what I prefer. But um, it was a great combo. And I took it several times, just like, okay, I'm going to go walk on the beach for an hour or two. And I'm only going to work at looking for subjects that work with that lens. Because not only the challenge, there's not only the challenge of using that lens properly and and manual focusing and making sure you you have the right amount of uh, that dreamy look and not too much, not too little, otherwise defeats the purpose of having it. And uh, but it's finding the right subject for it. And I find that um, I'll post a picture too. I find that the combination of the lens baby velvet with classic chrome is just amazing. Uh, it just it just work together. So I had fun using it. And I think it's one of those lenses where it's like a project. You say, okay, today I'm only going to work with that lens. I wouldn't, like I, I took it, I didn't have another lens with it in the bag. That's all I had on my shoulder. And uh, and I I really f- looked for subject that would be fitting for that lens. So it's very limiting, very limiting, but so much fun because it you become so much more creative um, using some, uh, using a lens such as this one versus trying to replicate that look in post-processing, which to me is not fun anytime because I don't like doing post-processing. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so do you, well, I guess you don't use it anymore since you don't have your Canon gear. Um, and I did not know that they actually make them to fit pretty much any uh, mirrorless cameras now. That is new to me. When I had it, it was a great tool. I loved the the plastic rings you would put in for your apertures. Mm-hmm. So I'd experiment with the plastic apertures. And it was uh, a real, for me, when I had the lens baby in my Canon, I was really focusing in on, no pun intended, um, the technical aspects. And mm-hmm. I was I was really um, learning, again, manual focus with the, with the lens. And it was it was a great experience. I yeah. loved it. Yeah. Um, not everything turned out, mind you, but it really slowed me down. Yeah. And I think that was a it was a good tool, and it was fun. Oh my god! Yeah. Some it, of the, the images were really fantastic. This one is. Um, I mean, I remembered that my my lens baby composer was you know really light and kind of plasticky, mm-hmm. but this is this is real heavy duty stuff. It's a heavy lens, um, and it's not cheap. I think it's. Four ninety nine. So, um, not something not for everyone. I mean, it's it's not something you need. Let's put it this way in yeah. your in your kit. Right. But if you if you want to add a little fun to your photography and um, and you can afford it, hey, I think it's it's really yeah. a great great lens. They've come a long way. They've yeah. definitely come a long way. So I'll put the link and I'll uh, I'll put a couple pictures uh, along with the the link to uh, if people are not familiar with that that dreamy look. And my kids were so tired of hearing me say, <laughs> "Oh, look at my." Dreamy seascape. Look at my dreamy. This is like we're so tired of hearing you say the word dreamy. <laughs> but that's really the best way I could describe it. Yeah. You know, it's like uh, going out to to shoot after a few glasses of wine. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've never done that. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Well, that was fun. And uh, do you have any announcement? 
Uh, one real quick one. I actually have two images in a juried show. Oh, so fun. if anybody is around Lynchburg, Virginia, the Academy Center for the Arts is having a show from Friday, September 2nd through the end of the month. And I have two images in the show. It'll be a great, it'll be a great show. It's a national competition. That's awesome. Um, congratulations. And thank you. Just from uh, the call for entry that I did recently in Minneapolis and uh, seeing the, the winners of the call come through the gallery and see their work on the wall. It was so much fun. Everybody was so excited. And uh, it's really, it's really fun. I really encourage people to, to do call for entry, especially if they get a chance to, to see the to see their pictures on the wall, um, and I know for in, in Minneapolis we made sure that we really documented it because there were people you know entering from all over the world, and obviously not everybody could come, but um, so that they could you know they could actually see it on. Uh, we did a little video of it, so um, but uh, that that's awesome. And uh, as for me, um, well, my exhibit is going uh, is uh, Paris Je T'aime at the Minneapolis Photo Center is up until August 26th. And uh, the grand opening was so much fun and so successful that we decided to have a closing party on Yay. August 26th. Uh, same for the winners of the call for entry. Um, because many people couldn't make the opening, but some of them may be able to make the closing party. So uh, we'll get together from about uh, 6.30 till about, I don't know, 9 or whenever. Uh, and uh, I think it's Friday, August 26th. So um, look for updates. Uh, um, most likely, I'll try to do a, a newsletter, but um, I'll post more details on uh, on social media. Well, thank you, Alec. This was just so much fun. Um, it was. Thank you, Valerie, for inviting me. It was a blast. We'll do that again. And Please. I hope to see you and your camera uh, again very soon. And absolutely. We need to do a, a reunion. Um, so we have so many friends in common just through the workshops that you've attended now. So we, yes, <laughs> it's fun, and we're all in uh, in contact regularly. And uh, and uh, yeah, as I said at the beginning of the show, that's one of the best part of, uh, of teaching workshops is those friendships. And uh, I, it's not even something I really thought about when I started, but I just, uh, I, I, my, my, it's made such a, a huge difference. And it's just heartwarming to know so many people from so many different places. And uh, I love it. So thank you for being uh, my friend. And, thank you uh, for being my friend, too. It's been <laughs> wonderful. Thank you. And we are at the end of another episode of Street Focus. Please head over to thisweekinphoto.com slash street to subscribe to the show. And uh, don't forget to upload uh, A Smile of a Stranger by September 8th. And that will be in the comments section of episode 99. And don't forget to share uh, with others on social media. I know it's, it's very few people do, and yet it's the, the best way you can support the show. And if you have a minute, you know, leave a rating on iTunes, and better yet, take a couple uh, minutes to write a few words. My name is Valérie Jardin, and you've been listening to Street Focus. Now it's time to grab your camera and hit the streets.